morning and turn to the book of Job. Something out the job, right? <laughs> the book of Job. And I want to preach a message that really the life of Job preaches. And that is dealing with life's worst case scenarios. Dealing with life's worst case scenarios. Job chapter 3, I'm going to start. Now we're going to look through the whole verse or, or chapter or book, really. Talk about a little bit of it, but don't worry. Um, we're just going to skim through it this morning. Verses 25 and 26 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. Job says, For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. Our Heavenly Father, I know there may be some here this morning that can relate with the words of Job. They feared the very thing that they uh, were uh, just uh, very frightful of happening in their life has come to pass. And God, I pray that whatever, uh, whatever place we find ourselves, that we would tune in with you today and let you have your way in our hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's an interesting book that uh, tells us, and, and I, I, I read part of this book a long time ago, but it tells us how to deal with, with life's worst-case scenarios. In fact, that's the title of it, The Worst-Case Scenario Handbook. You might want to check that out. I'm sure they probably got it online or something. But it, it's, uh, here are just a few of the uh, chapters contained in this book. How to Escape from Quicksand might come in handy. How to hotwire a car, you never know. How to fend off a shark, how to escape from a bear, how to escape from a mountain lion, how to, how to uh, survive a poisonous snake attack, how to escape from killer bees, how to wrestle free from an alligator, how to deal with a charging bull, how to land a plane, how to survive if your parachute fails to open, how to survive an earthquake, how to survive from uh, a wind adrift at sea, how to perform a tracheomity, or tracheotomy, tracheotomy, you know what I'm talking about, and how to take a punch, how to win a sword fight, and then how to jump from a moving car. That's a few of those things, and now it's possible you'll never face any of these strange scenarios in your life, but it's possible that you could find yourself in the same place that Job found himself in. And in his mind, the worst thing that could happen had happened. He lets us know that even when life was good and things were going his way, he still had this fear, this thing in his mind that just continually gnawed at him. If this happens, what if this happens? Oh, this is a horrible scenario if this happens. Some of us can relate with that. I remember uh, when our children were very small, and, you know, they can't talk to you. Something's wrong. And, and so in your mind, you're thinking, boy, this could be really serious. I remember Nathaniel, he had, um, and he was a little bit older. I can't remember. He may have been six, seven, eight. I'm not sure. And he had um, uh, this reoccurring headache. It's just beginning to hurt in his neck. You know, I'm thinking, oh, no, spinal meningitis. 
And I'm thinking, this is horrible. I mean, it was such a pain that he could not even bear it. He was crying because of the pain. So I finally decided I will take him in and get it checked out. Of course, it's always on the weekend when those things happen. Had to take him to the emergency room. And they said, oh, well, you need to take him all the way up to over to Springfield. And uh, so we did that, took him over to Springfield. And they were running all the kinds of tests. They had a doctor come in and says, we need to do, do a spinal tap. I said, wait a minute. I said, I, we, you know, I, I don't want to be dis, dis, disrespectful, but I want to get another opinion. Another doctor come in and said, yep, he's right, an, a spinal tap. So I sat there with my little boy as we went through this awful thing. They did the spinal tap, and um, none of it helped. They didn't know what was going on. Monday comes, I take him to our regular doctor right away. He knows, oh, this is a problem, just a common thing. They gave him some antibiotics, and it was done with. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, you're thinking of the worst-case scenario. Hey, he'll never walk again. He'll die here in the uh, hospital room. And, and we're thinking of those things. And that's kind of what Job is saying here, even when it was going well. Job, in, it, it, what he endured, no doubt about it, was horrible. But what he learned through those experiences was priceless. Priceless. And so what he learned will help you. And, and when, when we face those, uh, well, those worst-case scenarios in life. And so, so let's face it, we all have them, right? I, I mean, I, don't, I, I apologize for bringing them up to your mind right now, but they're there. We, we think of them, and that thing that we could, you know, that, that uh, would be the worst thing that could ever happen in my life. And sometimes those very things happen to people, don't they? At the very least, there will be times when the bottom falls out of your life. And uh, you will enter the valley of affliction. Now, I'm not uh, trying to encourage you with those words, but with the words of, of Job here, we'll see how we can get through whatever this world throws at us. And when this happens, though, when everything crumbles around us, then uh, you need to know what to expect. You need to also know how to react uh, when those things happen. The book of Job teaches us how to deal with, with the life's worst-case scenarios. And uh, you see, there, there will be those scenarios when we, we face, um, uh, we're not going to face all the things that have been covered in some hand, or the handbook I mentioned earlier. But folks, I want you to know that it is covered in the book I hold in my hands this morning. The Word of God. It is the, the uh, guide and the direction in life. It, is the, it gives you the answers for the, uh, impossible situations that you face. Oh, thank God for the Bible. If you are not a, uh, a, in the habit of reading your Bible, let me challenge you to read it every day. Let me challenge you to read it every day for 30 days. They say if you do something for 30 days straight, it becomes a habit. That is one good habit. You say, well, preacher, I don't understand it all. It's all right, read it anyway. God will help you. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. He will illuminate that truth, but you need to be in it. Get in the Word of God and let the Bible get into you. Well, let me get into this quickly, the message here this morning. And I want to talk about the character of Job's life. Briefly, we don't have time to look at all this scripture, but he lived a godly life. No question about it. And verse all, chapter 1, chapter 2 indicates this guy was a godly man. 
He eschewed evil. He hated evil. He did. He lived right. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of faith. And then he lived a, a good life, not only a godly life, but a good life. Um, you know, the greatest, the, the, he was described here by God as being one of the greatest men uh, of the East. And um, he lived a graced life. The Bible here tells us that uh, the, de the devil even complained about it, that God had put a hedge about his servant Job. God had protected him. God had blessed him. And so let me just tell you this. I want to throw this in. A life lived for Jesus Christ is a thing of beauty. It really is. Uh, you see, when a person dedicates their life to God, it brings them into a, a, a place they, they will experience what they otherwise never would have been able to, a position to experience the grace of God, to experience the mercy, the love, the blessings. That when we're walking with God, we will find it's a very profound and powerful place to be there in the will of God. There's nothing in this world that can compare to a life lived and, and uh, in the will of God and for God. You say, well, uh, Pastor, you know, you, you, you know I, I'm enjoying life. I'm doing what I want to do. Well, that, you know, that may be true, and you may be having a good time right now, but let me tell you, if you're saved, you're in for one big heartache and miserable life. God has a plan for you, and God wants you to uh, experience his grace and his blessings, but it's not going to happen if you're not where you ought to be spiritually. A life lived for him is a life that's not wasted. A life lived for God is a life of great value. It is a life that God can take and use to demonstrate to the world his love, his grace, his mercy. To a world that does not know these things, to a world without God, you and I, I guess you, I, I've put it this way before. We are kind of like God's trophies, or we, he wants that to be the case, where he uh, puts us on display, kind of like showing us off a little bit. In other words, he wants to use us as an example of what the world can have in God. And so Job was a great example of that. And But in Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, uh, which God has before ordained. Christian, you and I are to be servants of the Lord. We are to be serving him, working for him. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Why? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me ask you, what does the world around you see in your life? I'm saying, oh, you, you may say, well, well Pastor, I, I try to do what's right, and I'm a good worker. That, that's wonderful. That ought to be. That's part of it. But what kind of testimony do you have with the world around you? It, it is a, it's a life that he can hold up before Satan like he did with Job and uh, say, look what I can do through grace. Is that the kind of life that... Uh, you have and that I have. The godly life is a precious life. The godly life will point others to heaven. It's not about self. In fact, it's about dying to self. 
but it shows the world that there's a better path to walk on this earth. And, and it's an example for um, the young. Uh, it is a life that's that, that, that is well lived that others can follow. M.R. Dehan, many years ago, he used this illustration about holiness and living right. And I, I, I know the values of the numbers I'm going to mention may not match up with today's cost, but you'll get the point here, I believe. A bar of steel, he said, was worth $5, and it can yield uh, of the following. If made into horseshoes, it will be worth $10. Manufacture needles, and the value becomes $350. I'm sure that's much more today. Use it to create delicate springs for expensive watches, and it will yield $250,000. So here's the same piece of steel, $5 worth, that uh, depending on how it's used, will uh, increase or decrease the value of it. But we're like that $5 bar of steel. Our commitment to living for God, to doing right, to holiness, will determine whether we become uh, Christians of minimal, moderate, or significant spiritual influence. And I pray that uh, we will desire, strive to do that will make a significant impact on the lives of those around us. So imagine the value of a godly life in our world today. Let me tell you, I'm sure you already are finding this out. It's getting to the place where more it, it's harder to hide what's in our hearts. Some Christians have a tendency to want to blend in. But if you're going to live even a moderate Christian life, you're going to stand out in this world today. And I challenge all of us that we ought to desire to be of greater value in the eyes of God, to be used for his glory. And so, it, it, again, are you doing, you know, letting God shine through your life? It is possible that, and it is the will of God for every person in this room to live godly, to do right, to uh, uh, live good and grace lives. That does not mean a life without problems, but it, it's a life that will display the grace, the peace, the love of God. So are you doing just that? Secondly, not only the character of Job's life, I want you to see the calamities. We all know about those. We've read them time and time again in the book of Job. The calamities of Job's life. First, his calamities touched his fortune. They come to him in chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. He said all his livestock had been killed, and his servants had been killed. And the one that came said, I alone am alive. And then uh, his calamities touched his family, verses 18 through 19, chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, all of his children, they are all together in their oldest brother's home. A great wind, probably one of these tornadoes, came, destroyed the home. They were all killed in that home. So at one time, he lost, lost it all. In chapter 2, his own wife turned against him. And then his calamities touched his, his fitness, his own health. Uh, he, in, in chapter 2, the devil was allowed to uh, cause boils to come all over his body, from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. The pain, the torture, the horrible uh, situation that, that Job now found himself in. So... Job lived a good and godly life. Still, calamities came. 
And I've had people tell me, well, preacher, I've tried to do what's right. I've tried to live the Christian life, but what good has it done me? I still had this, this problem, that problem, and so it didn't do me any good, and so I quit. Now, look, um, you're, you're either one or two things. Either that person's not saved, or they're definitely not spiritually mature enough to see that God has never left them, that just as Job well, will learn that these uh, experiences can be the best experiences of his life. I have found that to be true. Those trials, what we would call trials, or what we would call calamities, uh, can be, as I look back, some of the greatest experiences in my life that taught me much about the Lord and much about myself. But, but evidently, Job was a worry wart. Um, you know, our text suggests here that even during the good times of life, Job lived in anticipation of bad things happening. Uh, and again, a lot of people can relate with that. I remember my mother was a worry wart, if there ever was a worry wart. She'd worry about things. She'd worry that she didn't have anything to worry about. And, uh, but she would worry about things that never happened. But that's what worry does. You know, thank God, most of the times our worries are ill-founded. Uh, however, there are times when life will bring with it worst-case scenarios. And such is the case in this uh, story. I read about a young man who was driving a tractor with a hay rack on the back full of hay, and he's coming around this corner by this farmhouse, and the wagon rolled over. And the boy was so upset, and the farmer house he come out he says son he says listen I'm, I'm gonna help you it's okay and he said oh my dad's gonna be mad at me he's gonna he's gonna be so angry I said son listen why don't you come in it's about time for lunch you come in eat lunch with us and then I'll come out here and help you get all the hay back on the wagon and so the, but the, 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 the boy says I'm just afraid uh, what my, my father's gonna be angry with me and he said oh nonsense son don't worry about it just come on in so he talked the boy into coming he had a good lunch he come back out and he and the farmer said, aren't you glad that you ate lunch? Don't you feel better? He said, yeah, I, I feel better, but I just know that my father will be very, very angry with me. And the farmer said, well, listen, no, that's not, that can't be true. That's nonsense. Where is your father? He's under the wagon. <laughs> and so uh, it would be uh, do us good to remember this morning that a good life is not is not a hedge against trouble. You're not guaranteed because you do right and you live right that everything is gonna, you're not gonna experience any trouble at all. That is a lie from many, some of these evangelists that will preach and tell you, you know, if you'll just send me uh, 10, 15, the more money you send, the greater blessings you'll have. All right, the only reason you've got problems because you're not right with God or you're not sending money into me. Well, those are charlatans, that's what they are. And they're not biblical at all. In fact, let me tell you, it's just not the case at all that if you uh, have problems in your life, it's because of your sin and you've done, uh, obviously done something wrong and you're not right with God. Uh, some of God's greatest servants went through some horrible afflictions. Paul, we don't have time to read it, but take some time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where it talks about how he was shipwrecked, where he was beaten, and uh, where he was imprisoned, where he was um, uh, uh, left for dead, all these things. He stoned, all these things. 
And then what about Daniel? Throwing in the lion's den for praying. Of course, God shut the mouth of those lions, and Daniel had a nice night of sleeping on those soft pillows. But then the three Hebrew friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here's three young men that just want to do right, want to honor God with their life. And they are thrown into that fiery furnace. Again, the Lord was with them and uh, saved them, but they even told the king, said, listen, I'll burn. We'll die before we'll ever uh, dishonor our God. And we're not going to bow before your image. And uh, so they, but they did go through the furnace. And so we, why, why should we feel that we should be exempt from all the troubles of life? It's in those valleys where we experience the, the grace and the mercy of God in such a real way, the presence of God, that God can use us to be a shining light to the world around us. What about even the Lord Jesus Christ? He was called a man of sorrows by Isaiah. And why should, again, we, we are, if he went through what he did, why should we think that we're going to have it better? Now, I'll be honest, I don't hope I don't have to go through some of the things that these men went through, but uh, let's leave it in God's hands. Let's not worry about it. Let's take one day at a time, live for the Lord, do what is right. God will never leave your side. Remember what the Bible says about this matter. Job, in Job chapter 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, Man that is born of a woman is, a, of, a, or is of a few days and full of trouble. And so, yeah, we're, our lives, uh, we, there are a lot of troubles and trials. I could, I'm sure that every one of you, or if not most of you here, could raise your hand and testify of some of the trials, the tribulations that you have gone through in life already. Job 5, 7 says, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world, he says, you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Listen to what Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Now, regardless of what you expect life to bring along, there is never a place in our life for worry. It's a natural human response. But for us as believers, there ought not be a place for it. Worry and needless cares, it shows a profound lack of faith in the ability of our God. In fact, worry is a colossal waste of time. Mark Twain said, I have been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. And there again, this worrying, many of them never did come to pass. Let me go to my third point here, the classroom of Job's life. You see, those things that happen to you and I, Christian, it's not by mistake. It's not by coincidence. It's not because the stars have lined up in a certain uh, a way, and that's why these things are happening. No, it really is. God is allowing these things to happen, and oftentimes it's for our own good. No, let me rephrase that. It's always for our good. And God wants to send us through the classroom of life. But Job here, he learned lessons about the person of God. Again, if you read chapters 38 through 41, you'll see how Job had learned a valuable lesson about who God really is. 
He learned lessons about the purpose of God. In chapter 3 through all the way through verse 37, or chapter 37, chapter 42 as well, that Job learned about the purposes of God in his life. He also learned lessons about the power of God. In chapters 38 through 41, chapter 42, again, if you haven't read that in a while, I, I encourage you to do so. But Job saw that uh, the person of God, the purpose of God, the power of God, and it all became so clear to him when he was in that deep, dark valley. So while God himself testified about the godly, good, and, and grace life of Job, God knew that there were areas in Job's life that, that needed some attention. And, and therefore, to work on these areas, God sends Job into the cl classroom of life where he learned lessons that are... And by the way, it's, it's in those classrooms where we will learn lessons that are not easily forgotten. Uh, we'll remember them. He learned lessons that most of us need to learn here this morning as well. Let me give you a few of these. Number one, he learned that no area of life is safe from the difficulties or disruption. No area is safe. The lesson in this is that our affliction should be, or excuse me, our affections should not be on this world, on the things of this world, but our affections should be much higher on the things of God. And if we have, if he has our hearts, our loves, then all, and if we're looking through that perspective, through his eyes, all is going to look much different and um, much better, by the way. But during his trials, he learned these valuable lessons that God alone should be the object of our love, our love and our affection. We oftentimes get it messed up, don't we? Uh, sometimes, you know, young couples getting married, we think that, well, we need to put the spouse above everyone and everything else. On this earth, maybe so, but not above God. If you put God above your, uh, or, or you put God below your spouse, you say, well, I'm going to love my wife, and I'm going to love her uh, even more than I love God. Well, that's, that's going to create some problems. You're not going to have the kind of relationship that you could have if you put it God at the very uh, first in your life. So Job learned these valuable lessons. And he also learned that God's purpose in trial is not to break us, but to grow us. Don't start whining and complaining when you're going through a trial. I know it hurts. I know there's things, and I, I, honestly, there's things I have no idea what it's like. I don't know what it's like to lose a child. Some of you do. I don't know what it's like to go through some of the trials you have gone through. But I do know that God never is going to do anything to try to destroy us or to break us. He's going to do all of these things to grow us, to help us. And so he doesn't want to punish us, but he wants to perfect us. He wants us to become more like Jesus Christ. Often the best lessons in life are learned in those furnaces furnaces of affliction. Uh, the disciples, when they were in the storm, boy, they never forgot that. As they were fighting for their very lives, to, and they thought this was it, they were going to die, and uh, where was Jesus? He was in the back, sound asleep. 
And they go and they wake him up and say, Master, don't you even care that we're about to perish? And, of course, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And he stood, and what did he do? Peace, be still. The wind stopped blowing. The waves stopped crashing. And it was like glass all around them on the water. Even He can control even the storms, the weather. He controls it all. But he, um, he learned that God's purpose in trials is not to punish us, but to grow us. Uh, the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, Daniel again, the lion's man, all those lessons they learned there. And then he learned that God's purpose and plans for our lives are often beyond our comprehension. Listen to what Isaiah says, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways uh, uh, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What God does and why he does it are, are things better off left with him. You and I don't have to have all the answers. I know we like that. We like to have everything laid out before us and understand what's going on before it happens. But life is not that way. And what we need to come to the place to do is just say, Lord, I'm going to leave it in your hands. I can't do anything else. I don't know what else to do. It's I'm turning it over to you. And, uh, uh, and that's exactly, I believe, what it says here in Isaiah. Uh, seeking to understand the reasons and the motives of the Lord who, you know, for why he does what he does and, and why he allows things into our lives is it, try, it's like trying to understand, if you're not an electrician, it's, it's like trying to understand electricity. We don't know, for most of us, we don't know exactly how it all works, but we sure enjoy the blessings of it. We go and flip a switch and oh, there's light. There's such power in that, right? We don't have to understand it. To, we don't understand all the, the makings of a computer. Maybe some of you do. Most of us, probably not. And, but we can still enjoy the uses of it. And uh, so we don't understand all the reasons why and, and the things are happening in our life, but we know that God's in control. And, and that's another thing. Job learned that God is absolutely sovereign in his life, and he, he is so in ours. Nothing happens without him being aware of it and allowing it to happen. Uh, remember, God's goal in every situation in, in life is for your good and his glory. Romans 8, 28, such a wonderful verse. We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Well, uh, you, you know, there's things that at, at the end, all of life's ups and downs, and, and uh, they will be perfectly blended together. When we get to heaven, we'll see how well they were blended together to create something, uh, uh, some beautiful thing, a life that is honoring to God. It's kind of like going to the paint store, and you tell a guy there at the counter, I want this color, and you've got a sample of it. Oh, he says, okay. So what does he do? He goes and gets these cans of the very color you don't want, and he puts them together, mixes them together, so that you get the color you need. And so that's what God does in our lives. There are things that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, uh, uh, we don't know how the world is going to come out, but if we will honor God, he will blend them all together. Let me get to my last point. That's what you've been waiting for, isn't it? But Job also 
I want you to see the consummation of Job's life. It was a time of personal repentance. If you would, go with me to chapter 42. Uh, we're just going to look at a couple verses. Job chapter 42. And look with me at verse 6. This is Job speaking. He says, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So he, Job finally come to realize that he hadn't been perfectly right. He finally come to realize uh, that because God hadn't been in absolute first place in his life. And then it was a time of particular revival. Uh, look at verse uh, 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the uh, Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. And then it goes down, look at verse 10. And the Lord uh, turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And so notice that Job repented. And he was placed immediately in a right relationship or fellowship with the Lord before the Lord even began to bless his life. So Job was rejoicing in his revival in his own life before he got lifted up out of all the problems he was facing. And uh, so he, he didn't wait on fair weather. God, I'll, I'll wait to get right when you get me out of this mess. Now, yeah, then I'll have revival. No, it was right in the midst of it. Job, and you can read it, he had revival in his life. He got right with God completely. Uh, you know, he, he had... Uh, even while he was still in the valley. God even used him to pray for his four friends. You remember his friends? Man, I think, I think it was only the boils that kept Job awake. But how in the world all that time and they're, they're uh, pointing the finger at him and the hypocrisy in some of the cases. There was some truth, but we, we don't have time to get through all of that. But now the Lord rebukes them and tells Job, Job, you're in the right place to pray for them. You pray for them. And they kind of turned the tables on them a little bit. And they, they weren't so proud and arrogant. But uh, so they, uh, they had, you know, done their best to protect God and his holiness from Job's complaints. But God told them they had, they had fallen short too. And only Job could intercede for them. And then it was also a time of powerful restoration. Uh, verses 10 through 17, God gave Job double what he what he had and uh, god blessed him in a mighty way and then it was a time of profound reflection we are told that job and his wife had 10 more kids uh it's it's interesting i don't uh, have the time i'd like to take but listen to three of the names he had three girls in this one name was uh, and i again i may not be pronouncing it the way the hebrew would but i am uh going to just read the best i can a jamima, a day, which means day or dove, and so, which indicates that God was giving Job uh, the day, uh, uh, replacing his night with a uh, with a life of day. Now he's getting out of that darkness, and then the other one was named Zazia, and it means fragrance, and it indicating that God had uh, replaced Job's sorrow with the sweet smell of his grace. And then Kareen 
hepok, a box of eye paint. It's the same word that was used when Moses came off the mountain and, and was glowing with the presence of God. And, and so this, uh, which refers to the glory of God, it refers to glory or brightness. Uh, that jo that, that uh, Job was, was praising God for what he had done now in his life and the fact that God had replaced his wretchedness with glory. So don't wait. And I, I close with these thoughts here. Don't wait until you get out of that trial and then don't make a deal. You're in the foxhole. The bullets are flying over your head. Lord, if you get me home, I'll get right with you. No, he say right there. Lord, I want to get right with you. Whether I die, whether I make it or not, God, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be, I have my heart right in tune with yours. And so don't wait. Job didn't. And then we might also need to remember the valleys of life are merely God's classroom. Let's not get angry. Let's not get upset. How dare God do this to me? Oh, wait a minute. God's not doing anything to you. He's doing something for you. Job realized that. You and I can realize that before we have to go through some um, horrible situations that we would classify as that. But, uh, you know, he is preparing you to be used by him in a greater fashion. This always takes uh, Then when the restoration has been achieved, look for a way to praise God for the time that you spent in your valley. I don't know about you, but I am, as I look back, those trials of life, I thank God for them. They really did uh, help me in a great way. And uh, if nothing else, I learned that God was always with me. He promised, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And it's true. He doesn't leave you. Even in the valleys, he's there with you. And then no matter how bad things become, it's not going to last forever. So as you travel through your valley, re, valley, remember that the exit is just ahead. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. As bad as it may get here, boy, it's, it's, the, it's the best that an unsaved person's ever seen. Uh, but we have greater days ahead. So Job's worst scenario became a reality. When it did, he ran the usual gamut of uh, things that people go through, the emotions, but God patiently worked with Job and brought him to the place he needed to be. Uh, so today, here's, here's the truth about every one of you here this morning. You're either in a valley or you're uh, coming out of the valley or you're going into the valley. Uh, so it, it's true of every individual here. We all are going to face these valleys of life. But uh, something else is true as well. If you have the Lord in your life, the God will carefully work on your behalf. He'll not leave you alone. He doesn't allow you, uh, you pain uh, just to go because he enjoys you going through pain. No, he does these things to grow you. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 31, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. So here's what we ought to do like Peter did. Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Friend, if you're here and you're going through that valley, you're coming out, whatever, wherever you find yourself, 
Let me ask you, how is your heart? If you died right now, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Do you have that assurance? Do you know, can you claim that promise that he'll never leave me nor forsake me? By the way, that's for the child of God. If you're not saved, you can't claim these promises. The only promise you can really claim is whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I urge you, I beg you, if you're not saved, come get saved today. And Christians, whatever the worst case scenario you can think of in life, I want you to know that God is greater than it, than that, that thing. That God will help you through that. He'll never leave you. Our Heavenly Father, I pray now that you'd work in each and every heart. It could be that this